Hey there, what's up? And welcome to episode number three of the Social Media Moneymakers podcast brought to you by Stan. Today, we're continuing the theme from the first two episodes where I'm interviewing another Instagram expert about his journey and his progression, not just in growing on Instagram, but in building a business. Today, none other than Marketing Harry will be joining the show to talk about overcoming burnout, how to make over $1,000 on Instagram with less than 1,000 followers. He's gonna talk about dealing with imposter syndrome, which everyone across the board deals with at some point when growing on social media. And we're even going to talk about what we both believe most people are doing wrong when they're first getting started building a business on Instagram. You'll get to hear Harry's full story in just a second, but I think he's a really great person to listen to because he offers a unique perspective in that he's not from the US and he just started building his Instagram presence in 2020. Also, before we get into the actual interview, I wanted to take a quick second to say thank you so much for the outpouring of love and support that I've received for this podcast. I've received so many comments and direct messages and even a handful of reviews, which is really awesome because I haven't asked for any reviews. So I wanted to give an extra shout out to those of you who have left a review or a rating on whatever podcast app you listen on. It really does go a long way in helping the podcast reach more people and get recommended on whatever platform it is that you use. But the real reason that I wanted to bring this up was not just to say thank you, but I wanted to acknowledge that I'm listening and taking your feedbacks to heart. One message in particular stood out in which the sender said, something along the lines of, the show name is Social Media Moneymaker, so I would appreciate it if we dived even further into the actual money-making principles and practices that these content creators used. It's great to learn about their journey and see where they started, but also the name of the show is Social Media Moneymakers, and I thought this was such a great feedback, and the person was right. We should talk a little bit more about how these people are actually making an income, their different income streams, in what order did they build them, so on and so forth. And so in today's episode, Marketing Harry and I are are definitely going to talk more about how he built his business, in what order he built his business, and not to spoil anything, but I think that's one area that Marketing Harry did really right, and I think a lot of people get wrong because they do what's easy rather than what's going to give them the best results in the long run. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this interview with you. I hope you enjoy it. Again, please let me know. You can shoot me an email. You can send me a direct message. You can leave a review, any sort of comments, questions, concerns, or suggestions are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow so that future episodes automatically download for you. We come out with a new interview every single Monday. And so that way you don't have to worry about catching a promotion on my Instagram. You will just automatically have the new episodes ready and available as soon as you open your podcast app. But thank you so much. And without further ado, here's the interview. Harry, Marketing Harry, welcome to the Social Media Moneymakers podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing phenomenal. Thank you so much for hosting me, Brock. I know that our relationship has been ongoing for a few years. So speaking to you on this podcast is a dream come true. <laughs> well, I'm really excited to have you. And uh, I feel like a broken record with our first three guests, but you are you are truly such a kind individual. Like of anyone I've worked with in this space online, you are always so generous. You are always so, so thoughtful and so kind. So I, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today. I want to start by addressing where you're from, um, because of course, we often talk about your journey and where you got started. And I think a big part of that is where you're from. So I know we were talking off air. You're originally from Bulgaria, living in Finland right now, and English is not your first language, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Gotcha. So growing on Instagram, how did you decide then? Because on your Instagram, you call yourself Marketing Harry, so you have kind of like Englishified your name, and you 
um, you know, all of your posts are in English. So how did you decide what language to, to use on Instagram? Absolutely. So my full name, for those who don't know, is Hrobren. And that name actually means bribery in my native language. Uh, but because it's so unique, even in Bulgarian, everyone except my mother calls me Harry. <laughs> and that's where Harry comes in. And that's how that alias actually became part of who I am as an identity. Now, when it comes down to the language choosing, because I've worked with so many different people from six out of the seven continents, I like okay. to say that only the penguins from Antarctica <laughs> are still not my clients. Um, I've quite often experienced this question, should I create content for my local audience or should I create content for the international audience? And I believe that we are so blessed with the opportunity to reach a global audience on Instagram. The algorithm isn't really incredibly vocalized, such as the algorithms on Patreon, such as TikTok. So we really have the opportunity to create content for as wide or as a narrow audience as we'd like. For me, because before I started my Instagram journey, I had already established my agency on the vocal level and I've seen my vocal opportunities. I really wanted to try being a smaller fish at a bigger ocean to see what it's like. And I already had quite a few clients which were international even before my Instagram presence. So it was the most logical next step, not to really try limit myself, but rather to try to grasp as big of a piece of the pie as possible. That makes sense. And from my understanding, I, I'm not a linguistic expert or anything like that, but I think English is the most common language or at least second language. I don't think it's the most spoken language, but I, I just like in my own travels through Europe and overseas, I feel like English is kind of like the default common ground language for whatever reason. So do you think that people should stick to one language on their Instagram? Do you think, because I've seen people do the kind of thing where they'll do their caption in one language yep. and then the bottom half of their caption will be in a second language. I've also seen people kind of flip back and forth between languages between each post. What are your thoughts around, uh, you know, just how to balance out bilinguality or, or being able to speak even more than two languages? Yeah. Optimally, we'll have one specific language per profile. And that's not only for the audience, but it's also for the algorithm. Because at the end of the day, uh, the algorithm can see everything. It can see what we type in in our captions. It can see what we create in our graphics. It can hear what we say in our videos. So for simplicity's sake, we want to make sure that our content is as easy to understand as it can be for the algorithm. And thus, we want to make sure that we stick to one language. I'm not a big supporter of accounts which have uh, double uh, languages in their captions or in their content. I believe that they're absolutely can be successful, but they're missing out on a lot of opportunity if they simply have created two accounts one per language. And of course, that may mean doubling the workload, but it doesn't necessarily mean doubling the workload from the beginning. So yeah. for me, I would definitely commit to sticking to one language. And then the question really is, should you stick to your vocal language and to your vocal market, or should you try to go for an international scene? And there, as much as I hate to say it, the common answer is it really does depend. Yeah. Um, that's, I feel like, the most common marketing phrase at all, well, because at the end of the day, everyone's situation is different, and you have to 
understand that based on your goals, you may want to stick to a local market, let's say, until you gain experience. And then when you're ready to scale, jump to the bigger, the bigger pond or vice versa. You may want to entirely limit yourself to local markets, become an industry expert and dominate uh, in your industry. We have a common friend of ours, Dominika Zak, who is positioned as an Instagram expert and a business expert in Poland and she is dominating and thriving only in that Polish market and that's completely fine for her. She doesn't have to go to the international market. So mm -hmm. both situations can work. It really does depend on what your vision and goals are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I love what you said about the most common phrase in marketing is it depends because it really does. And the answer to most questions is, yeah, it depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, speaking of local markets, though, you started originally with your local market before making the journey to kind of start on Instagram and you started on Instagram in March of 2020, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So t tell me a little bit more about what your business was like before you got onto Instagram. How many years had you been doing it? What was your yeah. focus? What were you kind of providing for people? Absolutely. So I began as a freelancer close to a decade ago. I was still a teenager and I was always entrepreneurial. I was raised in a family of entrepreneurs. So I always knew that I wanted to, to create a business, to start a business, to do something of my own. I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. And I didn't really want to be under the wing of my parents my whole life. So quite early in my journey, I was 14 at the time. I actually started looking into different opportunities um, and I first began as a coder so i was um, a back-end coder who was helping businesses create their websites and then with time i realized that marketing was quite more interesting to me not only because i i was able to understand how machine learning works and how the algorithms work and how the code on these platform works but also because i could uh, then combine that with the human psychology because I genuinely believe marketing is 80% psychology and then 20% understanding the technicalities. So for me, marketing was a match made in heaven between the data-driven aspects, the coding and the algorithm aspects, and then the psychological aspects. So. 10 years ago, I began as a freelancer. Then from a freelancer, I actually started hiring people. So I created a boutique agency. And ever since then, eight years ago, I actually have been having a social media marketing agency. Gotcha. 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 Very cool. So over that time, just kind of growing in local markets, but were you using social media heavily at that time? Or was it really just like no. word of mouth, recommendations and that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So originally, I didn't use any social media platforms at all. I began as a freelancer. I was on Upwork gotcha. and Fiverr. So I, I started scaling, utilizing these platforms. And then I heavily utilized word of mouth marketing. My whole belief system is centered around always give more value and then it will come back to you. So that's the reciprocity principle if you start thinking about it from a psychological stand of view. So for me, it really was about making sure that I always give more than I expect and then everything else would happen organically. And that's exactly what happened. That's how I started working with companies such as UNCEF, FEMA, Cambridge Quoting. And then from that point onwards, once I started feeling more and more confident in my abilities, I then began working on my social media presence because I knew that I had a lot of experience that I could share with people and potentially help them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I want to put a pin in the entrepreneurial family because I want to come back to that and talk about that. But let's, let's talk a little bit more about when you actually first got started on Instagram with 
the account that you have today. I believe you started it in March, 2020. And obviously that was a month, a time that kind of stands out in a lot of people's mind. That's when the world shut down. And so was your Instagram born out of necessity? Like, was this something that you needed to start to keep your business alive? Was this something that you were like, Hey, um, I can't work. I can't go out. I can't leave the house. So if I'm going to stay home, I might as well post on Instagram. How, how did you initially decide to start this, this Instagram account? Yeah. So I actually had the original idea of starting my social media presence in November of 2019. So before I actually began my Instagram profile originally, I actually began working on planning, strategizing, making sure that my presence had a vision moving forwards. And then from that point onwards, when COVID actually struck, I then had the biggest push to actually realize my dream because I found out that I had spent five months completely stuck. I didn't execute on anything. I was just in a state of limbo of over-preparing, making sure that everything is perfect, and it never was. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I was stuck in that procrastination journey. I had that procrastination monkey on my shoulder, so I, mm -hmm. I felt stuck. And COVID actually gave me the push to realize my, my dreams, which have always been to teach and to share, because generally that's what makes um makes my my brain thick for me teaching speaking publicly or on podcasts such as these ones and really sharing what i know is not only a way to solidify my knowledge but it's also a way to to give back and to really create a domino effect in my industry um, nowadays, I don't really care if I have 400,000 or 500 or 600,000 followers. It doesn't really mean that much. But when I see a client or a student of mine get those first 10,000, 100,000 followers, that really um, makes a difference for me. And that really motivates me. I love that. Let's talk more about that entrepreneurial family that you were raised in. Tell me more about your childhood. Tell me more about the family business or businesses. I'd love to hear more because I was also raised in an entrepreneurial family and I know it's something that um, I get asked about a lot and it's rare that I meet other entrepreneurials who can kind of say like, yeah, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family as well. Um, so I'd love to hear more about what it was like growing up. Absolutely. We had traditional businesses. So we had real estate business, a car wash business, and I was always and constantly in the midst of things. So I remember quite vividly every time that I wasn't at school, I was with my mother or my father at their businesses and I was having conversations with our employees. I was having conversations with our customers. I was working. So we had the car wash business and I was cleaning cars when I was seven or eight. And then I started realizing that if I speak with customers if i set right like right expectations and then if i deliver i would get tips so quite <laughs> quickly i started developing the business mindset within myself so i definitely believe that that gave me a push later on and that made me understand how businesses actually operate mm -hmm. um, on a foundational level of course i didn't really understood the uh, gritty nitty details yeah. uh, but then later in my childhood i actually everything changed for me uh, my parents had a divorce and that really spiraled out of control for me. So I had a really rough patch uh, in my preteen years and then in my teenage years. So for me, then business became the savior. Mm. That was what I was able to do in order to really take my mind off any issues that I had. So that was the thing that really motivated and built me up as a person. Those 
early memories that I have of mm-hmm. a really nice childhood uh, spent yeah. with my parents in their businesses. Yeah. Wow. That's, 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 that's a powerful story. Do you feel like your parents were like teaching you things intentionally, like you sitting you down and Harry, here's the thing that you need to learn and giving you principles or was it kind of just, they were running their business and because you were around them and around the customers, you kind of learned just kind of by observing. Honestly, I wish that I had um, a bigger stake in the businesses of my parents because I remember very vividly from an early age that I was constantly filled with ideas. So I was observing everything. And then I I was coming up with ideas on, for example, how to upsell customers or how to create loyalty programs. And keep in mind, I was 10 years old. (laughs) So for me, um, that's when I started developing uh, the skill sets of observation, listening, and being mindful, which to this day, I still believe is one of the most foundational skills for a business as well as for a social media profile. So I definitely think that I would wish that my parents had sat me down and gave me a stake and said, hey, you do your own thing. Maybe if I everything was okay and I was older, then this would have happened. But yeah, observation and mindfulness were the main skills and the main purest that really shaped everything um, about my business acumen early on. Gotcha. So you've been, you've had your Instagram for, for four years now, um, and you've built it up over time. And obviously you had a business before getting started on Instagram, but I would love to go back to March, 2020 and let's walk forward from there and start with what was your first stream of income that you generated specifically from Instagram? Yeah, I remember it very, very vividly. It was when I had 800 followers and at that point, point I was mainly creating carousel based content and uh, a, a golf coach in the UK actually approached me and at that moment I started realizing okay this thing that um, I, I was doing as a hobby this thing that I was forced to do can quite literally become yet another stream of qualified leads for my agency and not only that but these leads were coming from a place of trust and authority in my services because they have already seen them in practice so i was quite quite early on uh, thrown into the possibilities that instagram actually had for content creators because back in that day uh, carousels were definitely not common there were a handful of creators that knew and understood them and everyone was learning as they went so having that validation quite early on could have quite possibly changed the whole trajectory of my Instagram presence because at the end of the day, I was already busy. I already had leads. So Instagram for me was not um, something that I had to do from a place of necessity. It was something fun until I actually saw that it had potential for something Mm -hmm. more. Gotcha. So that's something more with that golf coach. What specifically were you providing for them? Yeah. So very early on, I had a multi-step funnel inside of my agency and uh, the top of the funnel was a simple consultation call in which we were identifying what are the gaps in the business and what he can do. And then I had the strategy package and then I had the do it for you package. So mm-hmm. the first golf, uh, golf coach and the first client actually took uh, the strategy package in which we developed his whole social media presence as well as templates and assets that he can start implementing in his business himself. So that first client was a multi four figure deal when I had 800 followers and it was for a social media strategy. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's a big jump. I feel like, yeah, a lot of people will start with, you know, like a $15 product, not to discredit them at all, but that's pretty flipping awesome. A four figure deal with not even a thousand followers. That's big time. 
Yeah, I believe that that's really the most quintessential difference between people who are just starting out on social and the most common response is, okay, I don't really have a big audience. I don't really have a lot of authority in my market. Let me start with a wolf ticket product. But from my experience, I found that that can quite often be a big, a big mistake because at the end of the day, in order for you to create a meaningful income mm-hmm. with a wall ticket product, you need a huge amount of volume of people that can see that product, that can see the offer, that that offer can resonate with them and you can mm-hmm. convert them. Yeah. But when you have 800 followers, that huge volume of people is no, yeah. nowhere to be seen. So for yeah. me, having that business knowledge from building my agency for years before Instagram led me to the counterintuitive way, which is have high ticket services that if people trust you enough, you will be able to convert. And yeah. that was what really has helped me because it really has given me that abundance mindset. And that's why I have never gatekept information. I have always given away everything because I know that at the end of the day, I don't have to uh, really uh, battle with myself for $15. Instead, if I give everything away, I know that the people who would need help because they have time restrictions would take me on my high ticket services. Yeah. And really, it's just math. And that totally makes sense. And I hadn't really thought of it in that way before. But that totally makes sense. Because if you have 800 followers, in order to pay the bills with a $15 product, you need a, almost all of those followers to to buy that $15 product. But in your case, you only needed one out of the 800 followers to purchase the four-figure deal. And then that essentially pays the bills. That provides a good yep. income. And then I would also imagine the motivation that it, that you get out of a four-figure deal and the kind of like boost that you get of, wow, I didn't make $15 from my Instagram this month. I made a couple thousand dollars from my Instagram this month. I feel like that's a very um, assuring and motivating factor. Do you feel like that kind of propelled you early on? Absolutely. So I already, uh, before beginning my Instagram presence, I already knew that I wouldn't have given up at least until I had given myself 100 days. Again, I come from a really data-driven mindset and I knew that um, I wouldn't really gather enough statistically significant information in a short time span. And because I have been doing social media before my, my own presence, I knew that organic social moves forward and paid. So I would need to spend at least 100 days. But when I saw, because for me, my first 30 days, I got 3000 followers and I was able to monetize, I believe at day 15. So when I saw that two weeks in, I was already posing deals. I was already able to monetize. It set me up um, on a journey in which I knew that I could start giving even more value. I could start giving from an even better place of abundance than I was before. So for me, the biggest advice that I could give to content creators is absolutely when you begin, don't have any expectations, commit to doing the thing for a consistent period of time for, in my opinion, 100 days is the minimum and only then start evaluating if this is actually worth it for you. Yes, it's a bigger time commitment, but the likelihood of you succeeding is way higher and your motivation will also be way higher. Yeah, that's really actionable advice. I appreciate that. So let's let's really break this down. So you have in the first two weeks, first 15 days or so, you have about 800 followers. How frequently are you posting at this Daily. stage? 
Yeah, it was absolutely daily posting. It was daily engagement, so it was quite intensive. And we also have to be mindful that the supply and demand or the content saturation at that moment was also quite different on Instagram. Totally. So I had a lot of push. And then, so a day... 15, I had around 800 followers. At day 30, I had around 3,000 followers. And at day 52, I had 10,000 followers. Wow. And from that point onwards to five months in, I had around 50,000 followers. And the first year, I was around 100,000 followers. And since then, it has been exponential. With the last year on Instagram 2023, I believe I grew around 175,000 followers. Wow, that is awesome. That's really awesome. Hey, you, you know, you mentioned engagement. I'm glad you did. Um, because I can't make a post on Instagram without there being a two to three sentence thoughtful piece of engagement, like a thoughtful comment from you on the post, which I always really appreciate. It's never self-promotion. It's always something that's thoughtful. It's addressing the post. And so when you said early on you were posting daily and engaging, was that the kind of engaging you were doing? Can you walk me through like, what is that engagement strategy? How many hours does it take? Is it always you doing the engagement or do you have team members who help you with that? I'm super curious about this for you. Absolutely. So the engagement that I did in the beginning and the engagement that I do now are very different. At the moment, the engagement that I do is mainly for networking and relation building. Because for me, I have a close uh, uh, close group of friends and followers that, for example, with yourself, I know you for years. So for me, engaging with you is mainly for support. But the engagement that I did when I was starting out my presence was for two things. One, to really understood my, understand my market because I didn't really have people who were commenting on my post or people who were engaging on my post. So the only way for me to understand the audience pain points was by actually going to other comment sections and treating them, seeing what type of questions they answer, they ask, and then creating content to answer their questions. So for me, engagement early on was first for content uh, research and audience understanding. And then secondly, it was for traffic generation. Early on, you don't really have that many traffic sources pointing to your Instagram profile. So you don't, you're not featured in articles outside of Instagram. Instagram doesn't really trust you that much to promote your content. So the only consistent way for you to push traffic to your content is engagement. So for me, Early on, engagement was really clearly part of my strategy for traffic generation. And I'm entirely transparent. It took me hours per day. But because that was a priority for me to really give it my all for 100 days, I was able to commit to that and say, okay, I'll engage for hours per day. I'll do my uh, my customer research. I'll generate organic traffic because I knew that my content was good and it deserved to be seen. Now, do I recommend this strategy for complete beginners, for busy business owners? Hell no. Was it viable for me though? Absolutely. So again, it comes down to, it depends. It depends on what your situation is. It depends on where you are at your business. It depends on, can you really create a really good and solid tone of voice? And can you outsource the engagement portion? Can it still be adequate and natural and authentic and not just for the sake of engagement? It's quite, quite complicated. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So early on, the initial first package that you sold, four-figure deal, and it seemed like it was a very extensive or or full-out package where you were providing strategy, you were providing content, you were providing a lot of guidance for this person. Um, From there, what was the second or the kind of next income stream, the next offering maybe that you created on your Instagram? Absolutely. So... 
up so from those, that moment in which I had 800 followers up until the moment in which I had around 70,000 followers, I didn't monetize actively. Leads were coming in. That was phenomenal for me. My agency was in full force. So I didn't really have the necessity to monetize my Instagram. My whole vision was give us much value and value will come back. That was happening. And then around 70,000 followers, I actually created my digital product. So I knew that I had uh, enough of a push on Instagram, enough velocity and volume on Instagram to create a wall ticket product. And that's when I created my book, which to this day is still updated regularly and it's still an active offering. Uh, I don't really believe in courses. I believe that they're extremely difficult to to nail down. And, uh, mm-hmm. and because most often in marketing, the answer is it depends. It's mm-hmm. extremely difficult to create a course which actually answers the necessity of your audience in a way which doesn't really feel like you scam them out of their income. So for me, courses, until you do them well, are quite difficult to pull off. Most people don't even finish them. So I knew that I wanted something which wasn't a course. It was something that people could consume on their own. And it was something which was scalable. So for me, a book with a lot of implementable templates and assets was the way to go. And that really then gave me a solid foundation, which month by month, I knew that whatever happened, I could not post at all. And I was still going to be generating some semi-passive income. Got it. Is that is that uh, that book? Is that available at your stand store link in your bio? Can we find that there, or is that not on there right now? Yeah, yeah. As I mentioned, it's the book that I have continued selling for three plus years and updated every year for free. So yes, it can be found on my stand store. Awesome, awesome. Um, you you mentioned you know early on, even when you first got started on Instagram, you already had a funnel in place, and you just mentioned that leads were coming in. Um, and so what I'm hearing is that you did things very differently than what a lot of people do, what I would even say most people do. Whereas I feel like most people, they're like, I'm going to build an Instagram. I'm going to build a huge following. And they set their goal at 10,000 or 100,000. And they think that it should start with followers when in reality, I feel like it's a waste of time if all you're doing is gaining followers, but not converting them into leads, not putting them into a funnel, not getting them onto your email list. So is that something that you would agree with? And is that something that you had set up early on was like the full email list funnel, all of that? Absolutely. So when it comes down to building a funnel, for me, it really comes down to your positioning. You have to identify even what is the real worth that you want to own in your customer's mind. So for me, it has always been data-driven marketing. So once I knew that I wanted to be associated with this worth, I can then start building my funnel. Top of the funnel is your content. That's what you're giving away. That's all the awareness that you're nurturing. And then you can start putting people into either a newsletter. That was something that I started developing quite early on. You can start creating freebies. Again, another source, uh, another touch point for your brand. And then you can start putting people into some of your wall ticket, uh, do-it-yourself products or do-it-with-you products. And then finally, your do-it-for-you products. So for me, I I always knew that I wanted to have a really solid positioning based on that positioning. And then based on the trust that I was earning with my content, leads were quite literally coming to my doorstep and were asking if I could help them for this specific problem that I had positioned myself to resolving. Gotcha. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about this positioning and 
how this kind of like five month, four or five month lead up to getting started on Instagram. Did you have a robust brand in mind and all of your colors and fonts and tones and languages and all of that picked out beforehand? Did you figure it out and change as you go? I'd love to understand that a little bit more. Absolutely. So I did have my visual identity picked up beforehand. And uh, I found out that that was one of the most helpful things that I could do because then every single time my content was shared across Instagram, it was being shared with that visual identity in mind. And because visual, uh, Instagram is such a visual platform, it was so easy to build a recognizable brand. So I quickly became that thread guy. And then from that point onwards, the next big thing that I wanted to plan out was my brand core, brand principles and tone of voice. So what exactly is it that makes me unique? What's my superpower? And that's when I started thinking, okay, so I've always been at Neurot when it comes down to data. I've always done things differently. Here in Bulgaria or in the Balkan region in general, we are also quite straightforward. We don't sugarcoat things. It's all about no bullshit. So that really quickly became my motto and motivation. Now, I would completely lie if I said that I have stuck with my brand from day one. In fact, I have done several rebrands because at the end of the day, a personal brand is a person. And with time, you grow. So I've grown, I've set my skin multiple times and my brand has represented that. But the core of my brand, my principles, my value system, that has became my staple in whatever I do, no matter what type of colors I use. My tone of voice and who I am as a person is a representation of who I am online. And that is the number one thing I recommend people plan out. I love that. I love that. Speaking of when you first got started in that kind of tone of voice, I do have one of your early carousels that you sent me that I wanted to show everyone here. And it's so funny, you and, and Lucas, who was on the show just last week, um, you guys are, are so similar in that I asked you to share you know, this early video. And for the people who watched uh, or listened to episode number one with Modern Millie, her early video was hilarious. You know, it's like 13 years old. It's an old YouTube video and you can look back at it and, and laugh and, and see how much journey there's been. And you've definitely progressed quite a few, uh, quite a ways, quite a few steps since you got started. But looking at this carousel right here, I would say that like nine out of 10 of my followers, maybe eight out of 10 of my followers couldn't make this carousel and would be so impressed by this being one of your first, if not your very first carousel. So bravo for this being your first ever post. But is there anything you wanted to share about this or talk about oh, or absolutely. pick it apart? Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes down to my carousels, I was already in a pretty good place. So I was pretty happy with my graphic design skills and that's because of my background. I don't expect my students to be quite as adept and that's not something that you really need because most of us are not graphic designers. Mm -hmm. We're not selling templates. We're not selling our do-it-for-you graphic design services. We're essentially packaging them and we're actually selling information. So at the end of the day, your design is just a way for you to communicate that information. So as long as it is clear and it captures attention, it has achieved its goal. So for me, that was quite, quite early on, uh, the, the focus on. And then from that point onwards, the other content piece that was the biggest struggle for me was video. In person, I was quite confident. On stage, I was quite confident because I had reception. 
I was mm-hmm. seeing people, I was able to communicate with them, their body language was talking to me. So when it comes down to speaking on a stage or in the front of an audience, no problems. But when it comes down to speaking to the camera, that's really when my anxiety picks up. Mm-hmm. So my video content, which I didn't publish a single video piece, one and a half years in my journey. Wow. And when I actually started creating video content, because at the end of the day, my name is Hrabren, I'm the brave social media marketer, I have to put myself out there. It was horrific. I was sweating bullets in my room for hours to record the perfect video. So it really does go goes to show that everyone has a unique skill set. You have to be, again, going back to what we discussed earlier, you have to be mindful to what makes you, you. And how can you communicate that in the best possible way? Because Instagram in 2024 is in its most diverse state that it has ever been. You can mm-hmm. post trios and you'd get rich. You can post carousels and you'd get rich. You can post single images and you'd get rich. So you might as well take advantage of that and play to your strengths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I remember when you first started posting videos and it's been really awesome to see your journey and your progression. Do you still get anxious and nervous and sweat bullets when you're recording or does it feel more comfortable now? It definitely feels more comfortable. I would lie if I would say that I'm in the same state that I was when I was starting up. Even when it comes down to bread break, uh, back in the day, I was trying to get everything as fast as possible because I wanted to give as much value as possible. So that meant speaking as fast as possible. I still do that sometimes, but now at least I remember to breathe. Mm. So I definitely am anxious. I definitely still sweat, but that's part of my personality. Uh, hashtag sweat, sweat, sweaters in the comments. But at the end of the day, <laughs> that I believe is something that the more I do it, the more it, the better it will be. And everyone is on their own journey. So no matter if I am four years in or 40 years in, I still feel like that I'll have some nervousness nervousness i still will have some doubts but i've learned how to manage them and how to catch them up early because i believe that everyone has an imposter syndrome everyone has some self-doubts everyone when their numbers start going down feels anxious it just comes down to the master being in this situation and failing more times than the beginner even has tried and because he has gone through that, realizing that it's not scary, you'll get past it. And that's something which happens quite often on Instagram when it comes down to reach. So around the holiday season, when reach starts going down across the board, everyone starts panicking. And people who have been on Instagram for several years, when they have seen how growth comes in and goes in cycles, say, oh, it's just another year. So I definitely feel like everyone is anxious. Some people just know how to deal with it better because they have the experience. Yeah. How do you get through the imposter syndrome or, you know, when you have a a series of posts in a row, four or five, six, seven, maybe a month's worth of posts that aren't performing up to your expectations, that are getting low views and low likes? Because, you know, even myself, I can preach and talk about detaching from the result and not focusing on the views and the likes, but there's a certain amount of ego and pride involved, especially for people like us who are the pros in this space, who are teaching other people. And when I see myself having low engagement for a couple posts, I start to second guess myself sometimes and get that imposter syndrome. So how do you overcome that? Is it just reminding yourself that, you know, this comes and goes in waves or how do you not uh, stay in this headspace where you're getting down on yourself. Absolutely. 
for me, it comes down to a few things. The first one is putting it in context. So the first thing that I do when I start having these bad posts is actually to start looking around. Because if it's only me having bad posts, then that's clearly a sign that the issue is in myself and it's within my area of control. If it's everyone that is having bad posts and bad months, that means that that issue is outside of my area of control and I have to let it go. Now, to have it let it go and to not take action to counteract it is two very are two very different things. For me, the next step after looking for context is really taking my mind off the issue and exploring different new fun activities. So for example, when Instagram reaches well, I jump on threads, I jump on LinkedIn, I jump on new, my newsletter, and I start focusing on that passion project of mine a little bit more. So for example, on, on threads, I've grown 10,000 followers in the last 30 days, and that for me has been incredibly fun format to explore. LinkedIn as well, I have been able to collaborate with some of the biggest LinkedIn content creators, and that again is incredibly fun for me. So when things are slow in one direction of your business or, or social media presence, that's a phenomenal opportunity for you not to take your foot off the gas pedal completely, but maybe to slow down, to go into a maintenance mode and then to explore different possibilities. I love that. That's really cool. I love that strategy and, and thinking of it that way. I would imagine that uh, exploring these other, these other avenues, these other channels, these other passion projects, that also fills your cup. And so even if your, you know, your ego or your cup is kind of being depleted by low likes on Instagram, it can be filled up in these other areas. So that's, you know, that feeling of imposter syndrome, which so many people struggle with. The other thing that so many people struggle with is burnout. And I know in one of your Instagram highlights on your profile, you mentioned that you've burnt out many times or at least a handful of times. So let's start with what was that like? What, what did those burnouts look like? Is burnout for you an afternoon of frustration? Because for some people, burnout is missing a few days. And for some people, burnout is missing a month. And for some people, burnout is having to make a goodbye post and delete their entire Instagram. So what did it look like for you? Yeah. So for me, uh, that's probably my biggest flex, not the amount of hours I've grown for students, not the amount of hours I've grown for myself, but the fact that I haven't actually missed a day in my four years of posting. Having said that, I've had plenty of days in which the only thing that's keeping me away from missing that day has been the strength of my processes and my willpower. So burnout for me has been months and months of lack of inspiration and motivation to continue doing what has brought me joy. And for me, again, it depends on what type of burnout you're experiencing. But for me, it was due to lack of creative challenges. I love being a content creator because it forces me to solve different problems and challenges on a daily basis through a variety of angles and formats. And when you have been doing this thing for days and days, in my case, 1400 days in a row, it can become quite repetitive and quite monotonous. So for me, I've gone through three burnouts, one in the very beginning of my business career in general, not on Instagram. And it was so severe that I was actually hospitalized. And at that moment, I started realizing, okay, that's not normal. And I quite quickly realized that it was due to the fact that my brain was working 24 seven. I was literally dreaming about my business. Um, my fiance has records of me waking up in the middle of the night to record ideas. 
So when you're a content creator, or when you're developing your social media presence, it's quite easy to get in that state in which you're literally on your phone 24 mm seven. -hmm. So for me, the first thing that has helped me counteract burnout has been moments of peace. And that's fueled by my confidence that I can stop posting and that will be okay. I can take the foot off the pedal, not engage for a few days, and that would be okay. I can miss answering every single comment or DM that I get, and that's okay. So for me, understanding that it's okay to take things slow, and then taking that much needed break has been something which, again, fueled by mindfulness, has been able to recover me from burnout as many, many times. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's helpful. And, um, I can totally relate. There was definitely a period of time, multiple periods of time where I've caught myself laying in bed. And as I'm falling asleep, I'm thinking about business. And I remember one specific time, um, I had a business idea, but I didn't have a notebook next to my bed and I had my phone charging in the other room. And so I asked my wife who was on her phone. I said, Hey, can you text me this series of words? And yeah. she was like, what does that mean? And I said, oh, it's an idea I just had for the business, but I don't want to forget it. So just text it to me and I'll remember it tomorrow. And she said, you think about business as you're falling asleep? And that for me was kind of like a, a wake up call, yep. pun, in yep. pun intended, um, <laughs> because I was like, hmm, I guess that's not totally normal. And it's probably not that healthy if every night as I'm falling asleep, my brain is just running at a million yep. miles an hour trying to think of ideas. Um, I need that that time to read read a book that's nonfiction, right? Or read a book that's fiction, excuse me, fiction, rather yeah. than rather than a nonfiction book where I'm like learning things before bed. Instead, like, no, I should unplug my brain and I should, you know, consume some content that's just fantasy or consume some content that's um that that's just gonna entertain me, right? That doesn't always have to be so that's productive. Right. So I totally I totally relate to and understand that. So when you've had these months at a time of lack of creative juices, no spark, how did you come back? How did you flip that switch? How did you get inspired again? Yeah, I would love to say that it was just me snapping my fingers and then resolving all my issues. But um, I do believe that burnout creeps up on us and then that burnout is a slow transition out as well. So we don't really wake up one day and feel completely burn out. It has been weeks and weeks of buildup build up that explode. That's at least my understanding. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was also weeks of, and weeks of just exploring different activities and trying new things that initially got me hooked. So for me and for you as well, I know that Japanese culture is quite intriguing. So oh, yeah. I quite vividly remember um, at the moment in which I had been burned out, how I started looking at Japanese culture, I was reading um, a nonfiction book, but they were discussing about how Japanese culture had a really interesting process, um, which was enabling music musicians in the courtrooms of Japanese palaces to actually sing and to sing 24 seven, even when there was no one in the room. So that inspired me to actually make a post on how we should be creating content, even if nobody is listening, for our own sake. And mm. I remember that once I bridged these two dots in my mind, once I started taking what actually interests me outside of content creation and then putting it into content creation, that slowly started rejuvenating my creative uses. So that's definitely one thing that I would recommend to people. And that's to 
or look into what really makes you happy in your day to day and look for gaps and bridges that enable you to connect the dots and to really merge your interest into one. Because not wow. only will you show up more authentically to your audience that way, but also you'll be able to really take the joy and spark from something else in your life and transfer it to your content creation journey. Yeah. I totally agree. And I love that. Last thing I want to touch on something that you actually, you mentioned earlier, you had a team before you even started on Instagram when you were having your business for the years leading up to having Instagram, you already had a team. So I'd love to hear specifically, what has your team been like since you started on Instagram? Have you added team members that help you specifically with Instagram or is Instagram still like a solo thing, but you have the, the team to help run the business? Absolutely. So I've always had the boutique agency, which actually means that you're just limiting your clientele. You're very picky to who you work with and you're offering a really small but targeted range of services. So that means that the agency is essentially running on autopilot. We have wait lists for new clients. So it's not really high maintenance. With the years, though, I have uh, enabled myself to take more and more of my staff members who have been working on my agency and actually integrate them in my own social media presence. So for me, up until the point in which I had around 250,000 followers, that was around uh, year two, two and a half or three, I'm not entirely sure, I was doing everything on my own, answering every comment, answering every DM, creating every single post. And then with time, the first thing that I added was someone to help with community management. Because when you receive hundreds of comments for a day, that becomes quite the big issue. So for me, someone to help with community management to make sure that I don't miss any important messages any questions from my audience was pivotal. And then from that point onward, I started looking at other bottlenecks in my uh, journey. And for me, that has been content creation and more specifically graphic content creation. Mm. I enjoy creating graphics. I still do probably 60% of all content that people can see on my page in terms of graphic content, but it takes so much time. So I have someone who lays the foundation for me and then I just have to put the final touches the way that I like them. And for me, again, that's really essential to understanding who you are as a person, what you thrive at, what are the tasks that you enjoy, and finding ways to actually help you focus on what you love and then neglect what you don't like. Uh, there's a really good uh, process for that. It's called the Eisenhower Matrix that I recommend everyone doing because it will enable you to identify what you should delete from your schedule, what you should delegate, and where you should be focusing. Love that. Well, that's awesome. Harry, you are so awesome. I really do appreciate you. I appreciate our friendship, but I also, um, I look up to you in a lot of ways and, and I appreciate the way you show up so authentically on, on Instagram every single day. And, um, it's been such an awesome journey over the last few years to get to grow alongside you and, and now to get to have you on social media moneymakers. I really appreciate it. So, uh, thank you for your time. It's early in my morning. It's late in your evening. So I'll let you have dinner and uh, get some sleep. Thank you so much, Brock. It truly has been a journey. I cannot wait to hear what people have taken away from this podcast. And if anyone has any questions, please feel free to message me. And I can guarantee you that if you have a question, my team will look at it and I will answer it. Yep. And of course, Harry is at Marketing Harry on Instagram. Um, and I'll, of course, link up Harry's Instagram and all of the other links that he has down in the show notes below this episode. But thank you, Harry. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, don't forget to follow, and I would really appreciate it if you left us a review on whatever podcast app you prefer. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode where I will be interviewing a creator who has almost 1 million followers over on TikTok and has amassed over 1 billion all-time views. Super excited for that interview. I'll share it with you next Monday. But until then, keep crushing it.